in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse, uh, what God showed me, verse 23, excuse me, verse 23 through 25 is the, uh, is the, uh, the, the invitation call of the, you know, from chapter seven till the end of chapter ten here, that's all been one one sermon. And here comes the here comes the invitation call. And uh, we have an we have an example. Uh, and you know, I've always heard people. I've heard. Uh, pastors and uh, guest speakers and stuff, they always say whether or not they have an outline that they go by or whatever. They mention the outline a lot when they're when they're preaching. Mm-hmm. And of course, I, I don't, I've never studied any of that. So I don't, I know what an outline is, but I've never used anything like that. I, I just write words down on paper and try to make sense out of them. But um, I've heard him speak of that. So I was thinking, well, this to me, Tips in the outline of, a, of how somebody would uh, organize a, a sermon, and and of course end it with the with the invitation, and uh, the <clears throat> you know we talked back in Jeremiah one ten where it spoke of the the destruction, the the setting up, the tearing down, the rooting out, and there was. Two thirds destruction and one third construction, and it kind of led to uh, to the thought that well, that's kind of how uh, God's word. Because this is what the Lord was telling Jeremiah. This is what uh, He had set him up to do. He had set Jeremiah up as a preacher to the nations to root out, to pull down, and to destroy. And to and to throw down, and then to build and to plant. So you got sixty-six percent. Uh, what Jeremiah was going to speak was destructive or convicting, which is not destructive at all. Don't get me. Don't don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Being convicted and, uh, to God's word is not destructive. That's the best thing that can happen to us if we'll if we'll. If, uh, what do you call it? Respond to that conviction. But <clears throat> so, uh, chapter seven, chapter eight, chapter nine, chapter ten. If you just go and you look at the the, the words that Jeremiah is speaking and saying, it really fills in. It, it fits that that outline of preaching sixty six percent melting pot sermons and 33% uh, almond tree sermons, which are blessing sermons. And uh, then the here at the end, you get the, uh, you get the invitation call. So uh, it took me to Matthew 23, 24, and 25, as far as 
where was the witness, where was the uh, scripture that would speak to a sermon being, you know, three and four chapters long, whatever. And we find, we find it in Matthew, in Matthew 23. <clears throat> if, if you have, a, you know, a red letter Bible, uh, Matthew 23 is completely all red letter except for the first verse or the, the first second verse which speaks of the context of, of what the chapter is going to be about and uh, then it leads right into the Olivet Discourse in chapter 24 and 25 and the only the only thing that's not red letter there is the introduction in the first verse, uh, which changes the context of chapter 23 of being in the present in, in the present in Jesus's time to a time that's not yet come. So the context has changed as far as the time uh, element. And with, and with it relating to, but it just, you know, I, I thought since God's word is, uh, all scripture is inspired by God, that Jeremiah chapter 7 through chapter uh, 11, or to chapter 11 through chapter 10 could have all, could have been all in red letter too. Just saying. Okay. And that when you when you look at, at Jeremiah seven, you you see he was speaking to people that was coming into the temple. Remember that? Yeah. The, the people that he was told to hear the word of the Lord, he said, speak to the people that are entering in at the gate to worship the Lord. Well, if you look at Matthew twenty three. <clears throat> you see that Jesus is <clears throat> speaking of uh, speaking to the people that uh, were leading and teaching the ways of God. He, his preaching is concerning those folks in 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 his day. This is Jeremiah was speaking present time in, in those that was coming to church in his days. And uh, I just, I found that to be uh, interesting and uh, well, it, it, uh, I'm having trouble with words. It, they just won't come out. It complemented uh, what was happening in Jeremiah's time, where he was standing at the gate of the temple for people going into worship. And here Jesus was speaking to people that were leading the people in worship and leading them into teaching the ways of God in the temple. So with, with that comparison being made, the sermon in Jeremiah 
is finished and the conclusion is in 23 that man is like sheep and he's helpless and without hope without a shepherd verse 23 Jeremiah 10 oh Lord I know that the way of man is not in himself it is not in man that walketh to direct his steps and I I've got a whole lot of what I'm going to do is just make points and then back those points up with scripture. There, there's just a whole bunch of them. And uh, so I just want you to be in, uh, notified ahead of time. Uh, if you want to write the scripture down, fine. Uh, but I'm going to give the scripture that supports what, what I'm saying. So with the thought being that Jeremiah says the way a man's not in him. It's, it's, not, it's not in him to walk. Uh, it's not in him that walketh to direct his steps. And understanding that as that we're helpless and we're without hope, without a shepherd to lead us. We just we're like sheep. So much of the scripture refers to. So where they, they in the Old Testament had Jehovah, they had God to lead and guide them conditionally if they would do what he's commanded. And we have today, we have a good shepherd psalms 22 john 10 11 we have a great shepherd psalms 23 hebrews 13 20 20. and we have a chief shepherd psalm 24 first peter 5 4. now remember we brought up jesus speaking to those in the in Matthew 23, 24, and 25, he is the Lamb of God. He is this good, this great, and this chief shepherd in the flesh, in the New Testament, and at the right hand of God, now that he's ascended. And he is given to us. He's given to us. John, uh, Isaiah 9, 6, and John 3, 16. That we might have hope. That we might have hope in receiving this unspeakable gift. 2 Corinthians 9, 15. Which is our blessed hope. Titus 2, 13. Who will dwell within us and guide us. Remember Jeremiah saying it's not in man to direct his steps. We don't have to. He's given us a comforter. He's given us his Holy Spirit. Who will dwell within us and guide us. 
John 16, 13, 2 Corinthians 6, 16, 1 John 4, 13. And he'll never leave us nor forsake us. Philippians 1, 6, Hebrews 13. What was that last one? Hebrews 13, 5. So in Jeremiah 20 and verse 23, he's confessing for all mankind their inability to walk pleasing and acceptable to God. Now remember, he's the minister to the nations, not just to Israel. So he's confessing to all mankind their inability to walk pleasing and acceptable to God. And to me, that's the altar call. That's the altar call in motion. If those words can touch us, if we'll come to God and acknowledge that we're not able on our own to understand God or even to seek Him, and you know that's 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 a concept that most people don't want to accept. They want to think that they are able. They want to think that, <clears throat> that they can understand God the way that they want to understand God. And they they can seek him however they want to. But that's being deceived. That's not what scripture says. And it, when we come to understand that that is the truth, that it's not in man that walketh to direct his steps. It's not in man in his own devices, in his own strength to understand God because he's dead spiritually and you can't understand God unless it's spiritually discerned. And you can't seek him without he draws you. So when we come to understand that that is true, then we'll come to understand, we'll come to know what David knew in Psalms 14, 2 and 3. And just so it that has a witness, it's repeated in Psalms 53 as well, word for word. But it says, the Lord looketh down from heaven upon his children, upon the children of men, excuse me, to see if there was any that did understand and see and see God. No. Did he see any? No, he did not. What he saw was that they are all gone aside. Now we're getting into comparing us to sheep. They're all gone aside. They're all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Now, coming to the understanding with this altar call, if it touch you, then with that being said, what David understood, that there's none that seek God. There's none that do good. There's none that understand God on their own. 
with that being said and with that being believed in your heart, one's ready to instinctively, Ecclesiastes 3.11, John 1.9, he's ready instinctively. It's, it's put in us from birth to call out to God and declare through confession his need of a Savior. That's that hole that's that hole that a lost man has. They can't be filled with anything else but God within within himself. But God will fill that. God, we try to fill it with everything in the world before we turn to God, but nothing works. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But there is a there is a void place in our soul that God longs to be there. And when we make room for him to come in and abide in us, uh, it's it's a glorious day for us. And the angels in heaven rejoice as well. But it, when when that understanding, that conviction comes to call out to God and declare through confession, I agree with what Jeremiah, I agree that I cannot guide my own path. I cannot lead my own way. I need somebody. I'm a sheep. I need a savior. I need a shepherd to lead me and guide me and protect me. Then he, he comes to realize he's walking in darkness on his own even though he thinks he's in the full sun he's walking in darkness and can't see where he's going and john 12 35 the, the lord made that very clear but upon believing the word of god john 1 1 romans 3 4 John 17, 17. He then receives the mercy and the grace of God through faith. Ephesians 2, 8. And the enabling power to conform to and perform his will. Why? Wow, you see the change that happens to a man? The new creature? being laid before us to conform and to perform his will, Philippians 4.13 and 2.13. Yeah, let's, I think let's turn to Philippians 2.13. I, for the longest time, had misunderstood this, this verse, and I thought it was talking to two, to two different people, and, it, and, it, and the word both is what threw me off, but Philippians 2.13 says, for it is God which worketh in you both. Now, that's how I was always reading it. You both. So where's the other guy at? Where's this other guy? 
to will and to do his good pleasure. And after reading it over and over and over and over, you know, it's amazing how just the, 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 uh, the influx of your voice the, can change the whole meaning or give a, a completely different understanding to what the verse says, which goes back to our discussion with misunderstanding that we have when we speak to other people. They take it exactly how we didn't mean it for them to. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do. There's the two, to will and to do. To be hearers and doers. Not that you both, but me and somebody else. Mm. So, what is... Have you ever come... Uh, has scripture ever yeah. thrown you for a loop like that before? Yeah. I think it, uh, it, it, it that was just one that always stuck out to me because it was so silly that I couldn't read that the way that it would make, the way that it would apply to the verse. I was always reading it with the wrong uh, impression, the, 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 the wrong yeah, he's working in a, he's working, what he's saying is, yeah, it's you not know. both, like who's the person, he's talking about the will and the do, that's the both is the what he's working in us to do, the both is, for his will yeah. and to do his good pleasure, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And once you get it down to that, then you can see that, well, that, that it goes with everything else, it's God. If we're going to do God's will and we're going to do his good pleasure, mm. it's going to have to be God in us that's doing it. Yeah. You know? It's not it's not something we do without help, but it's something we should do and, ex and accept the help that God gives us. He's the one worketh in us so that we can work it out. Work out your mm. salvation with fear and trembling, right? Well, that's what we, that's what that's what we're working out is what he works in us. So what is God's good pleasure? Can we look there real quick, brother, and that same thought real quick? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yep, because that was my wife's favorite verse. Yep, that was her uh, life verse or whatever. It, is that what that's what I they call it? I don't know, but I, I it sounds good. Yeah, it's, you know, like a lot of people use Proverbs 3, 4, and 5, and 3 and 5, or whatever. But anyway, yeah, being confident in this very thing that he would have begun a good work in you will perform it. The day of Jesus day Christ, of Christ, yeah. Well, I think that's right what you're talking about as mm -hmm. well, correct? The both to will and to do is good pleasure, and this working yes, out is. We should be confident of the very thing. You know, Lord says that we should be confident that he hears us when we pray. Yes. And and also that's the confirmation Amen. that he will not leave us or forsake us. Which I made that reference back yeah. up when we were speaking in, in that context. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, he, 
he's going to work it at the, he's going to work it out the good work that he begun in us he's going to finish it he's the author and finisher of our faith mm. amen so in Luke 12 31 and 32 I, I made this statement what's God's good pleasure that he's going to both to will and to work in us to do what is that good pleasure? Luke 12, 31, 32 says, but rather seek ye the kingdom of God. There, there you go to that. Is anybody seeking God on their own? No. What David says. No. God looked down from heaven and didn't see anybody that understood him or sought him out. Not one. But there is something you can see. Seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things should be added unto you. Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He's a, he's, he gave us his son, he gives us his kingdom. He gives us his preserved word. He is, he is beyond gracious. Now, with that transformation, we have the new creature. Second Corinthians five seventeen. We've crossed over from life unto death, John 5, 24. From darkness into light, 1 Peter 2, 9. And we're enabled to walk and abide in light, John 8, 12. And continue to walk in that direction, Psalms 119, 105. Psalms 37, 23. Proverbs 3, 6. Paul kicked him and, and the standing machine that he's another loser for the sake of. He is there to help us with our walk, but after we commit ourselves to him at the altar call. And once we've made that conversion it leads us into verse 24 where Jeremiah is speaking of O Lord correct me but with judgment not in thine anger lest thou bring me to nothing Psalm 6 1 And in the Old Testament, that's, David set that example in Psalm 6-1, where he, he, it's not word for word, but you get the idea. Jeremiah said, O Lord, correct me, but with judgment, not in thine anger, 
lest thou bring me to nothing. David said, O Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. Mm. And what the, what the, you know, he, <clears throat> that encapsulates the whole difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we're going to go to Second Samuel twenty four fourteen. Second Chronicles twenty one thirteen is the same story, but David sets the example when he when he told Gad after he had numbered the people and he had done wrong and he had sinned against God <clears throat> that the Lord had told Gad to. Uh, Tell David he's got three choices he can make. He, he can, which three of these uh, punishments would he desire? And David's response to Gad was, Let us fall now into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great. That was a national lament. In Samuel, though, that, that was him lamenting for the nation. David's personal lament was what we just read in Psalm 6-1. But to me, that that's one of the, the concepts, one of the verses that separates the Old Testament from the New Testament very clearly. That we don't get God's judgment. We, we get God's mercy. And what was missing in the Old Testament was that the Lord hadn't come yet to be to sacrifice to take away the sin of the world. They didn't have that vicarious death that Christ gave a substitute for ourselves. They didn't have that to turn to. But they had to continually have their sins covered by sacrificing bulls and goats. And that's where they could come under God's judgment acceptably if they do those things and not have his blood poured out on them. But because the Lord's judgments are true and righteous altogether, Psalm 19:9, and that in faithfulness he afflicts them. In faithfulness, he afflicts them, Psalm 119.75. To ask for judgment from any other source would be foolish. So David chose to fall into the hand of the Lord and not unto in the man's hands. But do you see where in the New Testament we're told exactly the opposite?
the New Testament tells us that it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And now that the now that the substitutionary death of Christ has been made available to every man to be reconciled back to God, then <clears throat> it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. If you if you're not part of his body already. Yeah, because we see the hour approaching or we should. Where yeah, they didn't have that to turn to back then. All they had was their sacrifices of bulls and goats that would cover their sins for a time. But whosoever finds himself covered and washed by the blood of the Lamb of God. So that he stands before God forgiven and accepted. He, he can do that because Christ paid our sin debt. We didn't pay our sin debt. We weren't able to pay our sin debt. He paid it. And so that now... <laughs> It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The world in the Old Testament looked to gold, silver, stone, art, heavenly bodies, etc. to worship. And God winked at their ignorance. But now, he has commanded. Now that the Lord has come, now that the sacrifice has been made acceptable to God and given to men he's commanded all men everywhere to repent and them that don't he will judge according to righteousness and we know that there is none righteous no not one without the righteousness that God, that the Lord imputes to us upon salvation, we have none. So this this is all about the altar call and the, the conversion of a lost man into the kingdom of God. And without the Lord, lest thou bring me to nothing. We are nothing without the Lord. If we're going to stand before God in our own strength, in our own works, we are less than nothing. There's nothing there that's acceptable to God.
And a, and a time is coming when those that don't have the Lord uh, will come to that reality. There's so many unbelievers. There's so many lost people in in our communities all around us. And they choose to be that way. Some are looking, some are not. But I, I'll tell you, there is no lost person in heaven. I, I should, I'll rephrase that. There is no unbeliever in hell. It's just that his the, his conversion come a little late. There's just like the devils, just like the evil spirits, knew Jesus. Everyone in hell knows Jesus. But their time has come and gone to be reconciled to Jesus. Yeah, like Revelation 2.21. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. And none of those exactly. who fornicated with him repented. The Lord gives the space to repent. Yeah. He gives that time. Oh my goodness, yes. I'm a prime example of that. Coming to him late, but <clears throat> it was it it's only looking back that it was late in my mind to my understanding, but it was right on time in God's time. God knew it all along. And I thank him for being so long suffering for so long with me. But I come to that altar call just like Jeremiah was setting one out here in the end of verse uh, chapter 10. I came to him asked him to lead and guide me, come into my life. And he certainly is, he says he'll come in if you ask him. But that door only has a handle from the inside. Don't have one on it. He can't, he can't open the door. you got to open it for him. But he'll certainly come in. And then the transformation begins. And that transformation is continuing to go on. Will be completed, like Philippians 1.6 says. It will be completed. Not by me, but by him. So here, <clears throat> we go to verse 25. And this is an appropriate prayer, or at least you see it quite often in the Old Testament, but I'm going to give you a couple of scriptures that actually this isn't going according to how God would have had it back then either. But verse 25 says, 
pour out thy fury upon the heathen that know thee not, and upon the families that call not on thy name. For they have eaten up Jacob, they devoured him, and consumed him, and have made his habitation desolate. And that's been an ongoing story. So, since God chose out a people to represent it, that, that they've always made his habitation desolate when God turned them over to him. But as long as they was uh, pleasing unto God and was in God's favor, he couldn't nobody touch them. So it's an appropriate prayer in the Old Testament. You see it often enough. David prays this way, uh, wanting his adversaries to be uh, dealt with. <clears throat> and that kind of follows the tenets of Exodus 21, uh, verse 23 through 27. Exodus 21. 23. Are we going there? Yeah, okay. I will too. I'm going to go there and read it. 21. I can never get there. Which, this is where I found that it would. Cause a man to pray that way, <clears throat> in that in that tenor, and it says, "Well, I should have just looked at my notes." Uh, okay, twenty-three to twenty-six. And if any man strive and hurt a woman with child, so that her fruit depart from her, twenty-two. And if any mischief follow, then thou shalt give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, strife for strife. And if a man smite the eye of the servant or the eye of the maid that perish, he shall let him go free for his eyes sake. And if he smite out a man's servant's tooth or his maid servant's tooth, he shall let him go free for his tooth sake. So we hear that all the time in the Old Testament, that the judgment was an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, life for life, and uh, strike for strike. But it, it's a prayer asking God to recompense vengeance unto the enemies according as they have done unto them. Yeah. Right? Well, isn't isn't that turning the uh, golden rule upside down? They're praying to God to recompense vengeance for them according as they have done unto them, instead of asking them to recompense them in a way that they would do unto them as they would do unto them. Yeah. 
Well, I think Christianity is the opposite like that, yeah. too. I don't think it... It is. Christianity yeah. starts in the New Testament, right? Instead of the wrath and the vengeance yeah. pouring out. That's... You know, we should have the heart like the Lord, really, and be Which... long-suffering to them that are without, you know, so they can get you know, saved, but we're not like that. The Lord is like that. That's right. Yep. We're still dealing with the same corruptible, inadequate man, mm -hmm. the Old Testament, New Testament. We haven't changed, but our but our yeah. destiny has changed. What did, where is that in the New Testament when Jesus Christ mentions this? It has been told of you in old time, uh, man, uh, where he mentions this, an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. A twofer for a twofer. Uh, Matthew five thirty eight. Yeah, I was going to. It has to be in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, but I wasn't sure exactly what. what I, I've got Matthew seven twelve as a reference here, but that's for the golden rule. Yes, sir. Five thirty eight, you say? Yeah, you have heard. But I say unto you, this is what Jesus was saying. But I say unto you, that ye resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twine. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Wow. Yeah. Actually, I have uh, Matthew 5, 43 through 45 written down, which yeah. is right where you stopped yeah. off at, right? You have heard it said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them the curse. And, you know, when you look at these, the, the Sermon on the Mount and the uh, what what they was under presently with Jesus speaking they were still under the the law and he's and he's where in Exodus he said I fly truth for truth life for life room for room all that stuff he's he's saying, you've heard that that's been said, but I tell you, this is what it is. They're not in grace yet. They're, they're not under uh, the new covenant. They're still under the law. And he said, thou shalt not hate thy enemy, but thou shalt love thy neighbor. And that's what I say, that the prayer that Jeremiah was praying and the prayer that David prayed is all about recompensing the enemy according as they've done unto them is according to as the enemy has done unto Israel it kind of turns uh, the whole thing upside down Matthew 12 7 12 says therefore all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you 
do you even so to them? For this is the law and the prophets. For this is the law and the prophets. Not the new covenant. Not the, the age of grace. This is the law and the prophets, it says, that you should do unto them even as you would have them do. So, we can see that the, the new covenant is being invoked by, by Jesus. He's preparing them for it, even before it comes. That this is the way that it's going to be. This is the way that it always should have been. And I've got, I got one more reference in Ezra 9. Old Testament. Have you ever noticed that there's three great, well, there's a bunch of great prayers in the Bible, but there's, there's three particular prayers that are uh, showing the man realizing his inadequacy and their their repentant prayers their, their penitent prayers and they all come in chapter 9 in three different books in Ezra and Nehemiah and Daniel there's three great prayers chapter 9 in each of them Ezra 9.12 says now therefore give not your daughter 9.12 Therefore, give not your daughters unto their sons, neither take your daughters unto your sons, nor seek their peace in their wealth forever, that you may be strong and eat the good of the land and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever. Well, as oh, You know, I, I don't know where I got that as a companion verse, but I sure did. I wrote it down. Maybe it's verse 13 that I was supposed to. I think 13. And after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great trespass, seeing that our God has punished us less than our iniquities deserve and has given us such a deliverance as this. That's the mercy and the grace. He's punished us less than our iniquities deserve. That don't that don't sound much like what Jeremiah was saying. Uh, lest thou bring me to nothing. It was never God's intention to bring us to nothing. It was God's intention to bring us to Him, which is everything. And that's what I've got on chapter 10. Mm, that's good. But I was, you know, I, I just, I got caught up with the, that being a, a type of altar call at the end of the sermon. And so that's where I went. A lot of, a lot of scriptures involved in, 
Yeah. Yeah. But God is good. Excuse me. Um, it was like like the four or the third verse that you talked about. Um, you, you had okay. John. I thought I heard you say John twenty three. In Hebrews, you had those two matched up, John 23 and Hebrews something. Okay, I don't remember. Exactly. John, there is no John That's 23. what I thought I heard you say. I only, only got 21 chapters, so if I wrote it down, it's 23. You're talking about the Good Shepherd, Psalms 22, John chapter 10, 11, and then you talked about uh, um, the Calling Shepherd or I didn't put the titles on there yet, but then you said John and in Hebrews. Okay. I don't know if it was a. Uh, I got John 10 10. I got Psalms 23. Say that and again. Hebrews 13 20. Psalms, Psalm 23. That's what it was. And Hebrews what? 10 20? Yeah, you know. 13 20. That's 13 20. And then you had Psalms 24 and uh, 1 Peter 5, 4. Do you have the verse yeah. of Psalms 24? Or is it the whole chapter? No, it, it's, the whole, it's the whole chapter. Verse of Psalms 22, 23, and 24 are mm. complete pictures of, of the good shepherd in Psalms 22, the great shepherd in Psalms 23, and the chief shepherd in 24 and the, the good, the great, and the chief shepherd are defined in John 10, Hebrews 13, 1 Peter 5. The good, the great, and the what's the other one? Chief. Mm. And those, the good, those are found in the New Testament writings, John, yeah. Hebrews, and Peter. When you look at what they say about the good shepherd, when you look and see what they say about the great shepherd, when you look and see what he says about the chief shepherd, read Psalms 22, 23, and 24 in those contexts, and you see that there he is. The good shepherd gives his life for us, just like he did in Psalms 22. The great shepherd is portrayed in Psalms 23 just like Hebrews 13.20 describes him, and the chief shepherd is revealed in Psalms 24, just like First Peter 5.4 speaks of him. So it's pretty, to me, it's pretty interesting. It was a trilogy. Psalms 23, 24, and 22, 23, and 24 are a trilogy of, of the shepherd. Of whom we Trust and serve today. 